Hi everyone. My name's Andy, as Subu said. I'm not a pastor here. Uh, and uh, you will find me watching TV shows like uh, Top Gear, Flip or Flop, The Cook and the Chef. Uh, only one of those is my choice. <laughs> I'm not going to shock you when I tell you that Proverbs is a book about wisdom. I like wisdom. It sounds really smart. And I like wise sayings. Here's a few that I like. Uh, Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. Here's another one. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Or here's a great one. Uh, Some of you will identify with this. It's very simple to be wise. Just think of something stupid and then don't say it. Here's, here's one from the Bible, right? I've taught this one to my kids. Uh, Jono, you'll, you'll remember this one. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 14. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> it's a proverb about empathy. Think about how things are received. It's not just the thought that counts. I'm going to quickly tell you five things about the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to dive into chapter 8 of Proverbs. Uh, So have a look at this list uh, when we think about the Proverbs as a whole. Okay, Shibu told us last week Proverbs uh, was written and collected by King Solomon, a guy who was given wisdom by God as a special gift uh, at his request, uh, was given the gift of wisdom, Uh, so that he could govern. He was a young guy when he was appointed king and and God came to him and said, name anything. And he said, wisdom, please. And that was a wise choice. He already had uh, some wisdom when he asked for wisdom. Here's five things about wisdom and the book of Proverbs. First of all, wisdom is applied. What do I mean when I say that? There's no such thing as applied wisdom. Wisdom is already applied. If it's not applied, then it's just knowledge. It's just know-how, right? But when you put your know-how into action, that is wisdom. If you want the Andy Bohr attempt at an analogy, let me give you the analogy of paint. If you have lots of tins of paint, different colours, indoor paint, outdoor paint, uh, but all you do is collect tins of paint maybe even paintbrushes, what changes? Nothing. In fact, all you have is a lot of flammable stuff stored in your house, right? Not not great. Uh, Nothing changes if all you do is collect paint. Wisdom, on the other hand, is like painting. It's like painting. Taking what you have and applying it for the purpose for which it was intended. You get the benefit of the paint that you've purchased. You get something for your money. The indoor paint goes indoors. The outdoor paint goes outdoors. Yes, it's hard work, but now actually you've got something of benefit from having applied what you have. Wisdom is, by its nature, applied. It's not just knowledge. Second thing, the Proverbs are full of a special kind of wisdom. It's not just smarts. It's not just smarts. 
Solomon had a lot of smarts. In fact, the book of Proverbs and Chronicles tells us that Solomon studied plants and animals and he knew about architecture. He knew all kinds of stuff. He was very good at international relations. Uh, but what makes, what makes Proverbs different about, uh, from, from the sayings of Mahatma Gandhi or Marie Kondo or Steve Jobs? What makes Solomon's Proverbs different to their wisdom? The difference is that it's godly wisdom. It's God's given, God's given wisdom, and it's different. Here's, how, here's the basic difference, right? Man's wisdom says... If I have a problem and I need to find a solution, I dig down deep. I go searching within myself to find the solutions to my problems. God's wisdom said, when you go digging, you find your problem. The solution is somewhere else. The solution is not in you. You are the problem. God is the solution. That's the big difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. Man's wisdom says, I've got a problem, but I can find a solution within myself. God's wisdom says, you are the problem. The answer is not within yourself. It's with God. Third thing, Proverbs has principles, not promises. The Proverbs are a collection of sayings and observations uh, collected and written down by Solomon as he watched life through the lens of godly wisdom. They are not promises. Let me tell you why I say that. Proverbs 14.23, all hard work leads to profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. Who's ever lost their job here? (laughs) I've lost my job once, and it was not because I didn't work hard. I lost my job because they didn't need me anymore, right? I worked hard at that job. Did it lead to profit? No, it led to redundancy. This is not about a promise. If you work hard, you will always do well. This is an observation about the general outcome between those who just talk about things and those who work hard at things. And Solomon says, there's a difference. I observe a difference. Those who just talk, they don't get very far. In fact, there's nothing to show for it. Those who work hard, they get somewhere. It's not a promise every time you work hard, you will succeed. It is an observation made through the lens of God's wisdom. Fourth thing, shock horror. Wisdom is personified in the Proverbs. The Proverbs talk about wisdom as if she was a person, and it's a she. Now, half of you are going to say, huh, why a lady? Why not a man? And the other half of you are saying, what else could she be? Ladies, females, before you get too haughty, there are other people personified. They are also ladies. They're called folly, the lady folly, and they're called the adulteress. So don't get too haughty too fast. The reason that wisdom is personified is because it helps us to understand her. Right? It's not, he's not talking about a literal person. Uh, if Solomon was, had eyes for one woman, it certainly didn't show in his life. He's not talking about a woman called wisdom. Uh, he went looking for women and found lots. Uh, none of them were called wisdom. Um, it, is, it is just a, a tool. It's a literary tool. And we do this all, to, we all, do all this today. Uh, my computer died. We 
computer was never alive. It didn't really die, right? We just use it as a way of describing what's going on, helping people to understand the circumstances. Um, Some other people will say to you, perhaps, that you can take wisdom in the Proverbs and substitute in Jesus. And every time you see the word wisdom, you can say, well, that's talking about Jesus. I don't share that view. Having looked at this, uh, the reason I don't share that view is because if you to do if you to do that, you find Proverbs saying things about Jesus that are inconsistent with his deity uh, and inconsistent with what else the rest of the Bible says about uh, Jesus. So the lady wisdom is not a real person. She's not a shadow of Jesus, although there are plenty of parallels. It is a literary device helping us to understand. Last thing. Proverbs is a little bit like a journey. Why is it like a journey? Because it tells us where wisdom starts, what wisdom looks like as it goes along, tells you how to spot wisdom, and then it tells you where wisdom takes us. It takes us away from harm and towards blessing. So it says, where does it start? And where does it start? Do you remember from last week? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord, having God in his rightful place and me in my rightful place, that's the start. It tells us what it looks like as it goes along and there's lots of practical examples in parenting, in relations with your neighbours at 6am, in uh, marital, in workplace, all kinds of things, in trade. There's lots of examples of what wisdom looks like as it goes along and then it starts to tell us where it takes us. What are the benefits of wisdom and what do you avoid when you apply God's wisdom? That's why it's like a journey. In Proverbs 8, we see all of those things. We see where wisdom starts. We see some of the things that wisdom looks like, some identifying characteristics, and we see where wisdom takes us, some of the benefits. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to tackle this chapter in four sections. It's a long chapter. It's got 36 verses. Thanks very much, Shabu. We haven't got time to look at every single verse. So I'm going to choose some select verses. We're going to mull over some of them. We're going to helicopter up and we're going to kind of skim across uh, the top. And we're going to see the four divisions. Um, The four divisions are up here on the overhead for you. Verses 1 to 11, wisdom's call. She's available. She calls out to everyone, and we'll see what that's about in a second. Verses 12 to 21, wisdom's character. If you've got a Bible that's uh, got lots of markings in it, you'll see there's a little bit of a gap between the breaks in these verses. Uh, Someone else had the smarts to see what I saw. Um, Verses 12 to 21, wisdom's character. How do we identify her? What do we see when God's wisdom is on display? Verses 22 to 31, wisdom's chronicle. I just had to have a C word there. Um, It's wisdom's story. Where did she come from? Where did she start? How has this all come about? And then verses 32 to 36, wisdom's case. Why would you get wisdom? She is so valuable. And we're going to tackle that at the very end. So have your Bible open. That's a good habit for you and it's healthy accountability for me. And let's go to the first section. Verses 1 to 11, 
wisdom's call. The first thing we see about this lady wisdom is that she is available. Not in a romantic sense, not like, hey, I'm available, that's my Facebook status. No, she is on public offer. She is calling out in public places. She's not hidden. She's not exclusive. She's not selective. She's not only for the smart or the rich or the powerful. Listen to what she says. Listen to what Solomon says about wisdom. Verse 1, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries out aloud. And here's what she says, verse 4. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And here's the kicker. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Wow. Nothing you desire can compare with her. The Lady Wisdom stands where the paths meet, beside the gates leading into the city. These are places in the Old Testament where everyone would hang out, where everyone would pass. The gates of the city, two big things happened there. It was the place where leaders met to hold court and to make big decisions. Uh, if you, look, you remember at times during the Old Testament, that, uh, you would get references like, and they went to the city gate and they... That was the leaders. The, the leaders of the city would meet at the city gate and they would make decisions there and they would sit there uh, and watch over the affairs of the city. The city gates was not just for the leaders, it was for everyone because it was also where the market was. The market was at the city gate. And so we have a place where wisdom calls out and everybody is there. If you're writing this today, you would maybe say something like, wisdom calls out from every mobile phone reception zone, every free Wi-Fi location, and every cafe in Melbourne. All right, those three things probably cover the whole of the metro Melbourne area. Wisdom is like that. Wisdom is not just for the educated, not just for the wealthy, not just for the elite. She calls out to everyone. Now, I don't know about you, there's sometimes where I come across a topic or a, an area of study and I just can't relate to it. I listen to it and it doesn't sound like they're making uh, sense, it doesn't like, sound like they're talking English. And I kind of just dismiss it. I say, well, that's not for me. For me, I don't know what the topic is for you. Uh, for me, the topic is architecture. You know the show, Grand Designs? That guy, Kevin, he talks about things that doesn't make sense. Here's what he's, he says, like, creating space. Who does he think he is, creating space? Didn't God do that? <laughs> Didn't space exist already? Or he talks about, you know, relationships between buildings. You know, as if they can 
pal up <laughs> and, and be buddies. It, it's weird. I just find it weird. I find it inaccessible. I doubt, to be honest, I doubt that I will ever find it comfortable to have a conversation about architecture with an architect. Um, God's wisdom is not like that. God's wisdom is not like that. It is available to all. It doesn't require higher intelligence. It doesn't require HSC, VCE, graduate diplomas, honours, MBAs, PhDs. None. It doesn't require anything. In fact, what did we just read? She calls out to the simple. She says, I've lost it. I think it's in verse 5. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. She says, I'm available to the lowest common denominator. Anyone can benefit from God's wisdom. Anyone. The only thing we need to do is to respond, to ask. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask. And God gives generously. Lady Wisdom says in this, in this passage, just listen and follow my instructions and you will start to have God's wisdom. You will have something that's right and true and just and faultless and valuable. Let me ask you, is Bible the thing for you? Is it religion? Is it spirituality? Is understanding God the thing for you where you just you say, you know what, this is too highbrow for me. I'd like, I would do small group, but that just goes over my head. Maybe you never did VCE. Maybe you left school early and you think, meh. You know, Bible study, so much reading and writing. It's not really my thing. Can I encourage you not to have an excuse between you and the wisdom that God offers? There is actually no barrier. If there's one for you, then you've put it there. God didn't put it there. Have you been excusing yourself from seeking godly wisdom by putting a barrier in there? Is it education? Is it laziness? Is it time? Wow, boy, did I get convicted this week. Someone said, instead of saying, I don't have time, try using these words, because everyone has 24 hours in a day, right? So they said, don't say, I don't have time. Everyone has the same amount of time. Say this, it's not a priority for me right now. I dare you to say that instead of, I don't have time. Ooh. I've stopped saying both. (laughs) I'm looking for something else to say. Because sometimes it is pure laziness on my part that gets in the way. Sometimes it's a love of sin. Sometimes it's, hey, I don't want to give something up in order to follow God's wisdom or to have God's wisdom. Maybe it's bad habits. Whatever it is for you, are you willing to bring it to God and say, God, will you take this obstacle away? Will you take this obstacle away? God didn't put it there. We put it there. But God can remove it. God's wisdom is for all, not just for some. It's a call to all of us. Second thing, second section, we're going to start, uh, then we pick up in verse 12, and it goes through to 21. I'm not going to read them all, but we see in these verses the characteristics of wisdom. So not only is Lady Wisdom available, she's readily identifiable. We get given characteristics of how to spot God's wisdom. 
And God's wisdom is different to man's wisdom, and it's different to just plain intelligence. One of the reasons I like thinking about the Proverbs as a journey, you know, where does it start, what does it look like on the way, and where does it go, is because I kind of like cars. I like journeys. I like road trips. In fact, I really like driving. I find driving so relaxing, I'm at risk of sleeping at the wheel on occasions. And when I was younger, when I was a teenager, that's some time ago now, I was a bit obsessed with cars. I used to read car magazines. Uh, I could tell you uh, authoritatively uh, the size and the configuration of an engine in any particular car that you would point out to me. And my big skill was that I could get a glimpse of a car from a distance and I could tell you what it was, make, model, and usually I could pick the year. I never really understood crime stoppers when they would say, you know, such and such event happened and they left in a brown sedan. And I would think to myself, that's not very helpful. At least they could give us make and model. <laughs> I've, I've since learned that not everyone has this obsession. Uh, Proverbs does this for us. Proverbs gives us the ability to spot from a distance glimpses. Oh, yeah, here, there you go. Anyone tell me what that car is? Oh, it's a VL Commodore. This one has a straight three-litre six-cylinder turbo. Yeah? Thanks, Alan. Did you have one of those? No, you should have. It was great. <laughs> Proverbs gives us the ability to look at a distance and see characteristics of behaviour, decision-making, and it say, hey, there is a little glimpse of God's wisdom. It looks out of the sea of humanity and human behaviour and it allows us to see, oh, there's God's wisdom, there's some too, there's another bit there. It's like watching cars come down the freeway and look for VL Commodores with a three-litre, six-cylinder turbo. I could spot cars by seeing the shape the grill, the taillights. In this section of chapter 8, God's wisdom is starting to be given identifying characteristics. Here's how you spot it. Verse 12, we see things like prudence, knowledge, discretion, hating evil in verse 13, hating pride and arrogance, also in verse 13, hating perseverance, sorry, hating perseverance, hating perverse speech, Uh, Righteousness, in verse 20. Justice. Good financial decisions. And before you get hung up on financial decisions, just remember that wisdom has already said, chase wisdom as opposed, rather than silver or gold. In other words, good financial decisions doesn't mean profit comes first. It means profit or, or finances have their rightful place, but they're not priority number one. Now, let's be clear about why we're being told the characteristics of wisdom. It's not so that you can make a list of these things and then go practice. That is not why we are being told the characteristics of wisdom. To go and make a list of these things and practice is a little bit like making a list of what makes a race car and then doing this to your Toyota Corolla. Okay? This does not make it a race car, but it's still a Corolla. And Corollas are fine, I'm not bagging them out, but it's not a race car. All this person has done is thought, well, Corollas, uh, sorry, race cars have a spoiler, 
Uh, they have a big air intake on the bonnet and they have big uh, wings on the front to make them more aerodynamic. I will make this a race car. No. No, no, no. In fact, I don't know what on earth possessed anyone to do this. Uh, it's not a race car. And when we make a list of godly behaviours and then just try to do them ourselves, right, we're doing this. Does it make you godly? No. God is describing, Proverbs is describing godly wisdom that comes from God. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me. When I try to do it myself, it's whacking bits of cardboard onto my car. It's craziness. God's wisdom comes from having him in our life. It comes from having him in your life. God doesn't say, let's put some cardboard on the car. He says, let's transplant. Let's change this vehicle. Make it something different from the inside. God's wisdom comes from having him in my life, not by trying to be wise by myself, but by having him and his wisdom inside. Can I ask you, is there an area of your life where you've been kind of trying to just be smarter, be better by yourself? I've got news for you. That is not wisdom. Now you have an image of what that is. (laughs) It's a Corolla with cardboard. God's wisdom is a gift from him. It's not earned by you or me. And so instead of relying on my own learning and my own wisdom, I need, you need, to humbly bring those decisions, those struggles, those dilemmas, those troubles, that bad habit, that attitude, that relationship. We need to bring them to God and say, God, I need you and your wisdom in this situation. Not, God, I've put some cardboard on it. What do you think now? We need God's wisdom from him, not just practice it and try to make it our own. Okay, verse 22. Now we get wisdom's story, wisdom's chronicle. How did she come into being? We know who she is, but now we need to know where she came from. Verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world. And it goes on uh, to say in verse 27, I was there when he set the heavens in place. And when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. I love this. In verse 30, listen to this. Then, as in at the very start, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. God's wisdom, these verses tell us, are inseparable from him. They are part of his character. You can't say God is sometimes wise and sometimes not. God is always wise because wisdom, the lady wisdom, is part of God's character. When they're talking about the lady wisdom, again, they're not talking about an extra person in the Godhead. 
this is really just keeping Lady Wisdom as a person. And she was saying, I was always there. I've always been there. Godly wisdom has always been a part of who God is. It's an essential part of his character. And we know this to be true if we think about the characteristics of godly wisdom and watching God's story with his people throughout the Bible. Has God always hated evil? Yes. And that is also a character here of godly wisdom. Has God always hated pride and arrogance? Yes. And that is a characteristic here of godly wisdom. Has God always displayed justice? Yes. Righteousness? Yes. God's wisdom is not a new thing. Sometimes, I know I do this, sometimes you and I, we go, ooh, when we see something new and different. And we think, it's a new thing. It must be a good thing. God's wisdom is not a new thing, but it is a good thing. Here's something amazing. God's wisdom has not been discovered as science and technology has advanced. God's wisdom has always, always been there. What we are discovering is our understanding of God's wisdom. We see it more and more. As we realize the complexity of the world and his creation, we see, like, wow, those things have been there from the very start. That design has been there from the very start, and now I understand it better. God's wisdom hasn't been discovered. God's wisdom hasn't grown or been invented or increased. It's always been there. My understanding of it may have just grown. God's wisdom has always been around and it's always been available and it's always been identifiable. Are you tempted like me sometimes to say, ooh, new teaching is better teaching. New things are better things. New books are better books. Can I warn you that any teaching about God should ring true to what God has said about himself from the very beginning. God does not change. Are you and I willing to spend time to get to know the God who has always been rather than simply wait and be attracted to something that is new? Are we only spending our time on the things that are new and different or are we actually willing to invest time to get to know the God of eternity? Let me also ask you this. Does your view of God change depending on your circumstances? Boy, I'm guilty of this. I'm going good. God is good. I'm going bad. God's neglecting me. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Am I willing to accept that God is unchanging and when I'm struggling with my perspective of God, it's here. Here is the problem. Not there. God has not changed. My perspective needs to change. Sometimes that is a hard truth to accept. Lastly, Let's go to wisdom's case. The case for wisdom. Why would you bother with wisdom? Well, the answer is she is valuable. She might be expensive, but she's worth it. You might have said those words before about a lady or about a car. (laughs) Listen to what the lady wisdom says. Listen to what Proverbs Solomon says about Lady Wisdom. Blessed, I'm looking at verse 32. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction 
and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favour from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself, and all who hate me love death. All who hate me love death. That's strong words. Lady Wisdom is saying that she has value. Earlier on in this chapter, she was told, she tells us, hey, chase me instead of silver or gold. I'm more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with the Lady Wisdom. Let me just pause and talk about value for a second. When I say the word value, what does that make you think of? Right, for me, it makes me think of big W. Like a place where you get great value. Um, you know, quality is reasonable and prices are low. Um, it's, this is not a value store, right? We're not talking about that kind of value. We are talking about uh, value that is the thing that you receive, right? So in, in behavioral economics, and this is something I've studied, I know, boring. Behavioral economics, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Lady Wisdom says, when we think about what you get, when I say value, the thing that you receive, it is priceless. It is priceless. Let's go back to a car's analogy. All right? uh, let me say, I, I bought a car for $50,000. Did I receive good value? What's your question going to be? What, exactly. What sort of car was it? If it was a Holden Chimera, the car at the top, probably the worst car ever, ever made. The answer is a resounding no. If you paid 50000 for that, you should be committed to an institution immediately. If it was a Lamborghini Urus, right, that's the bottom car. Yes, Lamborghini makes an SUV now. If it was a Lamborghini Urus and I paid $50,000, that not only would that amazing value, it's probably stolen. But... <laughs> That is a tenth of its value. The Lady Wisdom is saying when it comes to value, we think about what you get, and what you get is so incredibly priceless. It has, Lady Wisdom says she has immense value. She is, by her nature, so valuable. And if something is so valuable, what should the price be? It kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the cost is. The rest of the Proverbs go to great length to tell us all the benefits and the, and the blessings that come with God's wisdom. In fact, ultimately, at the end of this chapter, what did we hear? Those who find me find life. Those who reject me love death. If God's wisdom is ultimately the difference between life and death, then she has the highest value and the cost, the price, can never be too high. It can never be too high. She is always worth it. God's wisdom is priceless. It is always worth it. There is no moment when we should be saying, hey, you know what? I thought about this or that to get closer to God, but it wasn't worth it. Heaven forbid those words would ever come across my lips, and yet I I fear at times my behaviour has said exactly that. I thought about it, I looked at it, my behaviour says it wasn't worth it. 
That is not reflecting the value of God's wisdom. She is always worth it. Now, to finish, can I ask this question? So what? So what? If the Proverbs are a part of God's story with mankind, uh, and Jesus is the kind of the pinnacle of that story, then how does this all fit in? How does this fit in? Does it even fit in? Or is this just a bunch of sayings that make the Bible good for life as well as the afterlife? Let me suggest to you why it matters. The gospel, the story of Jesus and what he has done for us, that amazing grace that we spoke about, is, like Lady Wisdom, priceless. It has no measurable value. What did Jesus say when he was talking about people who struggle with giving up worldly possessions in order to follow him? He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, even if you own the whole world? Now, I don't know, I don't know if there's a measure, I don't know if there's enough zeros that's big enough to measure the wealth of the whole world. Jesus says, imagine if you owned the whole world and then yet forfeited your soul. Jesus says, how good would that be for you? Rhetorical question, by the way. How good would that be? Not very. Not very. Nothing, Jesus says, nothing is more important than the gift that he offers because the gift that he offers has value that cannot be measured. And so no matter the price, the price is still great value because what you get is immensely more. Jesus told a parable. In fact, he told a couple of parables to try to illustrate this point. There was a guy who saw a piece of land and, you know, being a real estate speculator, he went and did an inspection and he discovers treasure buried there. It's incredibly valuable treasure buried in this land. What does he do? He doesn't haggle over the price. The price is the price. He knows the treasure is worth way more than the price he's ever going to pay for this real estate. So he just goes and he sells everything. Sells his furniture, his fridge, his, probably not his kids, his house, everything. Right? Maybe he sold a kidney. He just gets rid of everything that he doesn't need in order to have this land which has a treasure buried in it. And what does he get back? Way more than he ever gotten rid of. He gets back way more. It, Jesus is saying, you can't... You can't sort of weigh it up and say, I don't know, this seems better. Kingdom of God, if it was better, maybe I would. He's like, it's it's priceless. It's it's like it's like finding a field with like the treasure of the ages buried in it. You know, what would you do? You would do exactly what this guy did. You would flog off everything and probably get your friends to sell their stuff too, just to have this treasure. Let me ask you: Is there something that you are hanging on to? That's in the way of you accepting Jesus. Is there something that's still in the way? Are you hanging on to something that you treasure, but in comparison with Jesus, just doesn't weigh up? I'm not asking you to be logical. If we all applied logic, we would not be in these dilemmas, but we're not logical. We're flawed, defective, sinful people. Is there something that's in the way? Are you hanging on to it? Is it a lie that if you keep trying, you will be good enough? 
and that God will accept you as you are? Is it your current way of life that you don't want to change? You really treasure it. And you're scared that God would ask you to change it. Maybe it's habits that you have that you know God would not have you have. And so you're holding on to them instead of holding on to Jesus. Do you realize that God's not saying, give those things, give up your pleasures and come and have less pleasures? God is actually saying, give up the cardboard, put away your cardboard Corolla and come and have the real thing. Give up the fake and have the real deal. Have genuine pleasure. Have genuine peace, genuine joy. Don't settle for a fake. What good is it for you to hold on to something and yet forfeit your soul? I want to ask you today as the band comes up and gets ready for the final song, I want to ask you today to consider what it is that you are hanging on to. I want to ask you to consider that thing that's in your hands and letting it go. Just like the Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8, Jesus calls out to all people. He's available. He's identifiable. He's eternal. And he's more valuable than anything that you could possibly give up to have him. He is always worth it. If you want to talk to someone about that, can you come and talk to John, talk to Shabu, talk to me, talk to the person you came with, talk to another Christian person that you trust. We would love to talk to you about Jesus today. He is always worth it. Let me pray before we sing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, this chapter and for the way that you've given us your word and the description of the Lady Wisdom. Lord, thank you uh, that your wisdom shows us that the answers are not in us. The problems are in us and we need somewhere else. Uh, We need to look somewhere else for the answers. Lord, thank you that you came with the answer. You came in the person of Jesus and you said, hey, I am the way. I'm the only way. And you graciously give us the way back to you. Lord, help us not to value things wrong. Help us to get our values right. Help us to not hang on to stuff that is in the way of having a right relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to see the amazing gift that you have on offer, that priceless gift, and to be willing to put everything else aside, the fakes that we hang on to, the cardboard Corollas. Help us to be ready to put those aside in order to have real joy, real peace, real satisfaction in Jesus. Amen.